Howdy, friends. Today, we have a very, very special treat for you. In late April, Elizabeth and I were at the Five Point Adventure Film Festival taping a live version of Safety Third. Yeah, we were actually on stage together, which has only happened once before. It was last year when we did our first live show, which was also at Five Point. And when we are on stage together, it is amazing. Mostly because everyone can witness that how Elizabeth and I are on the show is actually how we are in real life with each other. Maybe <laughs> be even weirder in person? Probably. Well, only weirder because there's no editing, but True. yes, this is actually how our friendship is. This is how it looks. It's the greatest thing ever. Anywho, the whole five-point experience was rad. Elizabeth and I chatted with three folks from two different films, covering everything from the strength of round Italian food to lessons learned from rollerblading. I hope you enjoy listening as much as we enjoy chatting, pals. Okay, here we go. Welcome to Safety Third, a show about ideas and how we come to believe in them. So, there's this film called Life of Pi. That's P-I-E, not the Ang Lee film. Well, pals, it premiered at Five Point. It's about a pizzeria in Fruta, Colorado. And we invited its two stars, Jen and Anne, on stage to talk with us the afternoon before their film played. My name is Anne. We're here with the hot tomato from Fruta. <laughs> and uh, yeah, wow, I need to practice my elevator pitch, clearly. That's okay. Yeah, I'm not so great at selling myself. What's the <laughs> hot tomato? Just sell pizza. Tell everybody what the hot tomato it's is. It's a pizzeria in Fruta, Colorado. Have you guys- <laughs> yeah, all right. Yeah. I'm not sure if we're supposed to yell for pepperoni or not. What do we do? Have any of you guys been to the Hot Tomato? There you go. Yep. I'm Jen. I'm with the Hot Tomato. I'm also Ann's partner. I'm the one who talks. <laughs> I am the talker. So you guys have this very interesting belief about pizza. What is that? I mean, just in a nutshell, we believe in the power of pizza. <laughs> <laughs> For so many reasons. So I want to tell you guys, we have interviewed a lot of people, and I don't think I've ever felt more of a kinship with Care- a belief. Careful, Patty. Because, you no. Can't, you can't, like, insult our other guests. I'm not insulting them. I'm just saying, as a born and raised Chicago, like, deep dish smasher of pizza, I just want, I, me too, is what I want to tell you. I, I as well, share your belief in the power of pizza. Um, but, you know, kind of... When you say that, what do you guys, what do you mean at like the 30,000 foot level of the power of pizza? We didn't realize how much we believed in pizza. Yeah. Until we started making pizza and giving ourselves an opportunity to do other cool things because we were making really good pizza. So it just kind of worked. So now we really believe in pizza because now we're here and you guys are like applauding us. So it's pretty cool. (laughs) So who believes in pizza? Well, we do. If you believe in pizza, clap your hands. Yes. Yes. Okay, so let's just back up then and kind of start at the beginning. So you first moved to Fruta, and um, there were no good pizza places around, right? Well, I grew up in New Jersey, so no, there were no good pizza places anywhere in Colorado, for that matter. True. (laughs) I mean, like... West of New Jersey, there's really not any good pizza, right? I mean, I literally just five minutes ago said I'm from Chicago. Well, that doesn't count. <laughs> it's like, I this mean, has been a fun interview, yeah. Jen. We can arm wrestle later. It'll be <laughs> no, fine. I am not taking you. Uh, on. Smart decision. <laughs> and okay, so you I, you had told me you used to go and like hassle the people. Yeah, the there street. was uh, we Ann and I moved to Fruta in 2002, and we she was that customer that would go in and say, you know what, you guys should do. <laughs> <laughs> so then they asked that me person. if I yeah I was definitely that person, and then they asked me if I wanted to buy the pizzeria. That'll shut her up. (laughs) (laughs) But also, you wanted a place for locals to just be able to hang out because you used to, like, take perfect strangers to your house and not be afraid of getting murdered. (laughs) It was Fruta. Yeah, it is Fruta. There was, like, 6,000 people there. I'm from L.A., okay? Like, We had this whole conversation. She was like, you would invite people over to your house? And then what would happen? Like, strangers? (laughs) How many weapons did you have hidden and where? Oh my God, Elizabeth. <laughs> it's so now a thing. I'm it's called LA. Airbnb. I understand. Okay. <laughs> yeah, now people pay for that. Yeah. Airbnb, right? <laughs> 
So yes, we, would, we worked at the local bike shop over the edge sports in Fruta, and we would hear oftentimes, where is there a good place to go and eat? And at the time in Fruta, there was mainly only fast food restaurants. And so we would jokingly say, our house. Um, and it kind of became a thing, and that's how we met a lot of our now friends. They would just come over and hang out, and that was, it had nothing to do with pizza, because we didn't even know we were going to make pizza. So that was about three years later, we opened the Hot Tomato. And when you went into that, like, what were you thinking? Because a lot of restaurants fail very quickly. Blissful ignorance it's, is yeah. a wonderful thing. It's like almost half. 85%. It's 85%. So you guys are staring down the barrel of 85% of new restaurants in their first year of closing. You're like, we got this. Yeah, I think it's in five years is where that statistic comes from. But we didn't know that. So we we just didn't know any better. (laughs) We we didn't know anything about running a restaurant. Should we open um, a restaurant? Yep. Should we do research? Nope. That was exactly Exactly. it. I mean, it was just like basically before the internet, right? Like we (laughs) couldn't look up anything. Google it. What's Google? I don't know. Let's open this Does anyone have a computer we could borrow? How do we do this dial-up thing? Yeah, so it was really like that. Um, Ann and I, neither one of us went to college. We don't have business degrees. We were just dirtbag outdoor recreationists. And here we are with all of you. <laughs> and so why, why pizza exactly? Not, why not open a burger joint or you know, a Thai restaurant or taco stand or something? Why pizza? Well, going back to New Jersey and that pizza thing, I was a, I'm pretty much a pizza snob. Okay. Um, I didn't realize that till I went away from it and I couldn't find good pizza. And so there was an existing pizzeria across the street from the bike shop and they were not super pumped about what they were doing at the time. So I had this grand idea that, well, we could take it over and we could have a couple of employees and we could just ride our bikes all day long and it would be this amazing thing. And I got talked to my parents from New Jersey into coming out for six weeks. Suckers. <laughs> <laughs> and my mom helped me in the kitchen and stayed at the bike shop so we could have you know the $10 an hour job. At least somebody was making some money at the time. And I asked my father if he would loan me some money for, to buy the equipment from this existing pizzeria. Okay. And he said, absolutely not, which was probably. <laughs> <laughs> he actually kind of said it like this. Jenny, are you kidding me? I'm not giving you any money. <laughs> and I was like, OK, Dad, I love you too. <laughs> Looking back on that, it was probably the best decision that he ever made. And probably now, you know, for me, I'm really happy that it went that way because it, it made me really have to dig deeper and really, really be bought into what I was doing. Right. So then I suckered some friends into it. <laughs> <laughs> so when my dad said no, I was like, oh, I really got to dig into this yep. and also dig into the pockets of my friends. Exactly. <laughs> and we found some suckers and they gave us some money. But we also knew at the time that, you know, I think if we had gone a standard small business loan, there are definitely times when I think we would have probably walked away and said, heck with this. We don't really have to pay anybody back. But did you guys have like any experience actually making no. pizza? No. no. We just ate it. What? <laughs> <laughs> it's, like, it's like, oh, I'm going to. I'm going to become a mechanic, you know, because I've driven a car once. Exactly. That was exactly it. So who taught you how to make pizza? Um, no one, really. What? Um, yeah, I was a mess. You should have seen oh, me. She was to, awful. Yeah. <laughs> so what? tell me about some, like, early mishaps. There had to be, like, major malfunctions in making pizza here. There were many malfunctions in a lot of things. <laughs> Starting from the, around the early years... Uh, people we hired. I mean, we were just hiring bodies. We didn't understand that. We didn't really know what we were doing. We had no real vision. All we knew is we wanted to have a place for people to hang out and tell their stories after they played all day. And so um, there was a guy in Grand Junction. His name's John. And I asked him if he would kind of mentor me a bit. And he was from New York. And him and I got along great. And I worked with him for maybe one and a half days. And (laughs) he showed me how to make dough. He showed me how to grate cheese. And he showed me how to stretch stretch a pizza. And that was really it. So your your mentorship was like 18 hours. It was free. (laughs) (laughs) 
So, perfect. There yeah. you go. So that was that. And so then my parents came out, and my father went through, my dad is a mechanic, so my dad went through all the equipment in the restaurant and made sure it was worth, worth the money, which it wasn't in his eyes. But we, at that point, I had quit working at the bike shop, and we needed to do something. And you were fully committed. Fully committed. Yeah. <laughs> and my mom and I hung out in the kitchen, and we just um, made sauce and played around with various different things. I remember she would just pour thing, like pour flour and salt and sugar into her hand, and yeah. she'd be like, this is how much you need, <laughs> and dump it into the pot. And so we never had any measurements. Yeah. And then I hired somebody. And it was a big guy like you. Yeah. And so his hands were twice my size. And we were like, uh-oh, this is isn't going to so work. Like salty. <laughs> <laughs> so that, did you actually have to create recipes? Like yes. With actual <laughs> with, measurements? Yeah. Things? Real, th we had to think. <laughs> was that tough? Uh, for me, it was. <laughs> That's where Anne comes in. <laughs> So you took over as yeah. kind of like someone, chief. yeah. Someone has to do the talking, yeah. in the relationship, and someone has to do the thinking about the talking. So I feel you. That's. I, feel you. <laughs> what are you, I don't understand. What She's you're doing. just been over there thinking the whole time. Where I had to chaperone you through the airport. That's not. A, That's you just what took happened. A, oh God. I'm sorry. We can have some drinks know, later. You and I. Yeah, we'll go hang out. I just need a hug. Really. I got you. That's what it is. Thank okay. you very got much. You. So you guys have described the hot tomato as a third space. And can you tell the crowd what exactly you mean by that and how exactly the hot tomato has become that? I think when I first heard that term, I thought it was kind of like degrading, like, oh, we only got a bronze medal. Like, <laughs> we can do better than this. Like, we're just third place. But it actually means, so you have, you have home, you have work, and then you have that place that you go to. So it's where you spend your time. You know, you spend the majority of your time at either home or work, and then there's that place that you want to go to that's third place. So it's, it's definitely kind of become like a thing in the business community. Like, how do you yeah. become third place? And, and how do you guys feel like you have fostered that with the hot tomato? I think that we have really just become the place where people want to hang out because we're really friendly, and we've really been deliberate on building a culture in there yeah. of including everyone. Someone just recently um, called us the living room to the outdoor industry in the Grand Valley. That is a and good comp. Yeah, everybody go, oh. Yeah, like I just got goosebumps again. I like know, every time I, well, I have to like calm myself down when I say it because I always get a little choked up when, I mean, when I first heard that, when we both heard that, we were like, oh my God, we just make pizza. <laughs> And it's become this really wonderful place. And I hope you guys come to the film tonight because I, I think that Ben and Travis have done an amazing job at really representing what we're doing in there. It really, it really comes across really well. Okay, so speaking of third, like a third space, do you remember like when it started to dawn on you that the hot tomato was becoming a third space? Um, we had one of the first nights. So Anne stayed at the bike shop for a few months, and it was pretty much just me and a couple of kids basically, teenagers that were helping me bus tables and run food, but I didn't trust them to make anything because I didn't have- because she's from New Jersey. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Um, but I didn't have any systems, you know? I didn't really know what even that meant all the way. Yeah. So anyway, so we, we had this one night and there was uh, over a 45 minute wait on pies and I was making pizzas and taking orders and answering the phones and doing all these things. And people were coming up and I would say, can you come back in 45 minutes? Because I'm nowhere near making your pizza. And they just started asking if they could help. And that's when it dawned on me with the community that we're in that people wanted to see us succeed. And they enjoyed what we were doing. And I think they really trusted us. You know, we were at the bike shop for three years. So we had this um, relationship with our community. People knew us. You know, we were involved with the Chamber of Commerce and we were involved with city council and various levels. And we were involved in trail building and all this stuff. So people, you know, we tricked them into thinking that we were really wonderful people. And then <laughs> we started feeding them really good food and it right. like really started to work together. Um, and people did. They started bussing tables and washing dishes and running food and they helped me close that night. And I remember I got home and talked about this a little bit in the movie. Anne was like, why are you so late? And I was like, it was just insane. We had an amazing night and I think I can pay you more than the bike shop. Can you please come help me? And then I think you cried. 
<laughs> you cried? No, I didn't cry then. There was one moment of tears, but it was not then. Well, I like that then. Tell me about the crying. <laughs> uh, the crying was in 2012. I remember, you know, the specific tear I moment. Do too. Um, I, I don't do crying well. Yeah, no, that's another New Jersey thing. Um, <laughs> so we had, so we were in an old location from when we opened until 2009, and then we we moved from that location. We bought our own building, and we were closed for 10 months in the process. We did the remodel, and when we reopened, it was kind of the equivalent of going from like kindergarten level to like getting our PhD. Like we just we tripled in business overnight, and so we found ourselves. You know, we had this kind of hobby business where we were small enough that we could afford to make a lot, of, like a ton of mistakes. And then all of a sudden we were in like the real deal. Like we had to figure out how to run a business and we had no idea what we were doing. So it was kind of like, I kind of equate it to like being in one of those hamster wheels where you're just like, okay, you know, freedom and like all of those like pebbles that I want to eat are over here, but I'm just in this wheel and I'm just spinning and I can't get to them. And you know, the kids are like rolling me down the, like, the stairs. So <laughs> in our hamster wheel. So. Did you have a hamster as a kid? Maybe. It's a poor hamster. Do you see what I have to deal with? Did you see how that went? I like it. I knew, I knew you would. I knew you would like it. So, so we did this for two years, and we were just, I mean, we were totally in over our heads. And so we, we got to this point in 2012 we, where we were really thinking about selling it. We had a, a business broker come in and talk to us and evaluate it. And then uh, Jen sort of put the brakes on it, um, and that's when I cried. <laughs> but there's more of a story towards that. Why did you yeah. put the brakes on? Because of Sarah Ull. <laughs> hey, Sarah. Because of. Hey, thanks for saving the pizza. She did. Sarah saved the pizza. Sarah saved the pizza. Hey, it everybody, a... give it up for Sarah for saving the pizza. <laughs> that should be a sticker. Well, she just basically like, this is a bad idea. Also, like, I'm hungry. <laughs> What, how did that? In a, in a nice, gentle way. Yeah. I think she said that. Um, mm -hmm. Sarah introduced us to a business consulting organization yeah. in Ann Arbor, Michigan, called Zingerman's. And uh, we went there, and well, I went there after we had talked talk to the broker, and yeah. I did a seminar, two day seminar, and I remember not being able to sleep the whole time and trying to figure out in my head how I was going to go home and tell Ann that I loved pizza in this moment more than I loved her. <laughs> but I, I knew we could I make it work. I think I get that. Yeah. You kind of know where I'm going. Because I love pizza. <laughs> How yep. did that make but, you feel? But yeah. you guys aren't married, are you? No, yeah, no. that's that's the no, difference. That's, that's yeah. the big difference. Yeah. That's that's why did you have that reaction? <laughs> My like parents are here. I feel like we're veering really far away. From back topic. to pizza. So back to pizza. So I had to come home and just, I couldn't, I couldn't do it. And I asked Anne to give me six months to take what I learned at Zingerman's yeah. and try to make some sense out of what we were doing. And so I spent the next six months really working on the business and Anne spent the next six months really working in the business. And we just try to divide and conquer. And I think that's where we really learned we really learned where our strengths and weaknesses were and how we could really help each other and make this a thriving business. And from that point on, we, we dug in really, really deep and, and it worked. I mean, so, it was hard yeah, and it was, but it was, I look at that moment now and like, I mean, I think like every week I call Zingerman's and thank them. Really? Yeah, I'm, I actually sit on a round table with them now and I get to see them. A lot, and they're very. Is re it a very pizza-shaped round table? <laughs> oh, yes, they sit mm. in a circle. Sit in a circle, <laughs> surrounded so, I mean, by to pepperoni. To me, it seems like this. Like this is like you know, you you, you come back, you tell your partner, we got to put the business first, and but almost it seems like the the business was saved because of that. And and would I be correct in saying that the relationship was amplified because of that? Absolutely. The pizza of the heart, if you will. <laughs> I think you kind of have to have deliberate conversations about boundaries and then try to respect them, but that it's, it's not easy. I mean, it's, it, it definitely takes work to be in a business with your significant other. Does the pizza help? Yeah, I mean, yeah. at the end of the day, if you're just like, let's just go get a beer and a pizza. Slice. <laughs> let's go sit at our bar and have a slice and a beer. 
to, to me, it seems like the, the hot tomato in fruit, it seems like it's this like this safe haven. It's this free thinking hub, you know, where you're, you're through pizza, you're creating this kind of bridge from like, you know, uh, open mindedness to like maybe more of a conservative ideal uh, from, you know, outdoor recreation to oil and gas. I mean, is that what the power of pizza is? Yeah, that was something that we learned pretty early on when we were at the bike shop. You know, the bike shop was kind of this anomaly in what at the time was definitely very much a farming and ranching and gas and oil community. And the bike shop did a really great job at the tourist economy and like bringing in that type of demographic, but it didn't do a great job at bridging the local community because it's, you know, it's a pretty big divide between selling a $7,000 mountain bike and someone who grew up on a farm or a ranch in Fruita, Colorado. But food is pretty universal, right? Everyone has to eat. So we definitely took that from the bike shop. We were like, okay, we can, you know, we have the option here. We can only cater to the tourist traffic. And, you know, that's, that's an option and plenty of places do that. And that's not a bad thing. Or we can intentionally set out and make this welcoming to everyone who lives in town. And I think, you know, Fruita was seasonal enough and small enough that it was pretty apparent to us that if we wanted to survive winters and summers at that time, like we, you know, we needed to do that. And plus we wanted to do that. Like that wasn't, you know, I'm not saying that was just a deliberate business strategy. Like we really wanted a place that was welcoming to all of the community. So if somebody comes up to you guys and says, hey, listen, I want to take your business model. I want to open up. Uh, a, a pizzeria in, you know, small town USA somewhere, what would you tell them? How would you tell them that, that you believe in pizza? What can pizza do for this town? We've had that conversation many times. Really? Um, and it's incredibly humbling and wonderful. And we've gone down the path of doing it. And every time we go down the path, we think about what is important to us and what we're very passionate about, and that is the community that we live in. And so we've um, told everybody no. You said <laughs> Which, no? Yes. And it's really hard to do that because we, we feel that we do have a really amazing space and a place for people, and it's, it's very profitable, and it's really fun, and it's really given the community a lot of heart and soul. But at the end of the day, we want to keep doing that in Fruta and not be driving around to other places yeah. and and I think um, just spreading ourselves too thin yeah. because we don't want to lose what we've already created um, and so now what we are doing is we're creating a community of businesses um, in Fruita r around the hot tomato so we also have a coffee shop and a coffee roaster and we're working on a couple of other things so it is it's really hard because people are really you know they believe in the power of pizza too right and they get really passionate about it and they see what we're doing and they want to do it and we just keep getting scared. And I think we're at a point now in our lives that we're just like, you know what? We're okay with this. We don't need to franchise it. We don't need to do all this other stuff because we, I think there's a, a lot of expectation on what we do and we wanna make sure that we can continue to meet those expectations. After the break, more from our live taping at Five Point Adventure Film Fest. We're back to our live show at Five Point Adventure Film Festival. Our second guest was featured in a movie called People of Water. And I may or may not think he is super dreamy. Okay, fine. He's totally super dreamy, like upsettingly so. Like you appreciate it, but also kind of hate it. Like eating an entire box of donuts. Like you're happy and sad all at once. From the U.S. men's rafting team, please welcome to the stage, Rob Brechtel. Oh, man. Oh, God. Yeah. It's going to get bad. Do I need you. to leave? What's that? Do please, I need no. to leave? No. Stay. <laughs> yeah, please stay. Gonna, okay. This is going to be great. I'm just going to dreamily stare into your man bun for a while. I'm into it. All right. So, all right. We're at uh, we're at the put-in of a uh, river trip. You've got 30 seconds to introduce yourself. Go. I'm Rob Prechtel. I'm part of the U.S. Men's Raft Team. Um, I grew up in Fredonia, New York, a small town, and worked my way out here to Colorado and 
found my way into a lot of cool experiences, one of those being the raft team, and it's taken me on a, a wild ride, that's for sure. We're going to get into your career on the raft team, but you have this very interesting belief, which to me is really, really surprising. Tell us what that is. Uh, I believe mastery does not exist. And that's, I think that really starts with my upbringing yeah. in a way. Um, my parents always kind of pushed us in the direction of being worldly and, and figuring out new aspects to pursue, whether it was, I mean, we had to play the piano, we had to dance, we had to do gymnastics. We, they were always pushing mean, the boundary. What do you mean dance? I mean, I took some dance classes. Like what kind, like jazz, tap? I mean, what are we talking about? No, but my sisters did dress me up in a tutu and call me Kristen for a while. So that, that's, that kind of stuck let's, with me. Yeah, let's weird. Let's dig into that. that Does that character show up uh, on river trips? Because having costumes is like a major component of river trips. And I'm wondering if just at breakfast, all of a sudden you're serving coffee as Kristen the tutu. Only when my sisters are around. This is... Yeah. I you didn't know that about right me. now. I, I can tell. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm blushing. I, this is... <laughs> okay, I'm going to rescue Anyways, you. please, save yeah. us. Um, so let's, you know, let's talk about outdoor adventure. When do you remember like, doing something that really sparked your interest in the outdoors? That, that was fostered in us as kids. My parents made sure that we went out into the wilderness and camped and I mean, we went fishing, we kayaked. We lived near Lake Erie, um, and so we, we spent a lot of time adventuring outdoors, and that hooked me in. There's so much to adventure that allows you to grow personally and also with your community of friends or, or people you're out there with. Um, and I, I think that was kind of the start of my love for nature and adventure in the outdoors. Is there an experience that really means a lot to you when you look back? There are a few things, and really more recent things stand out to me. Uh, obviously, the whole people of water experience is still close, and, and I have a, a reminder in that there was somebody there capturing those moments and, and kind of keeping them in sight for me. And then the Grand Canyon was another big learning experience. We had a film a couple years ago that the men's raft team was a part of where we did a speed run down the Grand Canyon and just having that to look back on and remember all those insecurities and parts where you did need to step out and rely on your team and and kind of in this new place that you hadn't been before and hadn't experienced that really stands out to me as some of the most influential outdoor experiences I've been a part of. But there was, a, there was also a time around fifth grade with you, right? Oh. That, that showed you that you, in fact, were not a master, though you thought yeah. yourself was. And it involved rollerblading, right? Yeah, you ever Tell seen us, Airborne? Mitchell the Goose Goosen? Dude. Have I seen Airborne? I love that film. Don't test me. Oh, my uh, God. Okay, tell me about this rollerblading experience in fifth grade. It, it was kind of the culture back then, uh, just maybe around fifth grade, I was probably 11, um, and I had spent a lot of time with my friends, and we always dared each other to do stuff, and I got pretty good at rollerblading, so one day I watched Airborne, and I was like, oh, cool, I'm going to go out and practice. This is going to be awesome, and as I go out there, uh, my sister, who is older, her friends were around, and they caught me on my in my rollerblades, and they're right. like, oh, yeah, Airborne, huh? Cool. Why don't you go jump off that... Uh, bench over there and so oh I start I start entertaining their ideas of uh dares and things and yeah. finally we get to the point where there's a huge hill in the backyard or in the, the back of town yeah. and they're like yeah just go up that hill and point it down as fast as you can it's like yeah I got this it's no problem I do this stuff all the time and had, so but had you in fact done this stuff all I mean the time? not this particular thing <laughs> but I felt confident enough that I was a master of, of rollerblades. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so I confidently rollerbladed up the hill. It takes a while. And I get to the top and I'm like, all right, let's send it. So I, I point it. Yeah. And <laughs> gaining speed is great fun. 
<laughs> you know, like the, the wind <laughs> so rushing nervous. through your air. Totally. Yeah. And um, there's little cracks and potholes that you have to weave around. I've been down that hill a few times, uh-huh. not at full bore. But anyways, get to the, the bottom and I look up to see the amazement on their face that I just kicked ass oh. pointing it down the hill. And as I do that and I see their face, oh no, there's gravel driveway that's on the right side of the road where oh. the cars back out. Oh, no. And subsequently there's gravel on the concrete. And I immediately am flying through the air like, yes, this is awesome. Yeah. And by the time I try to put my hands down, oh no, my face had smashed on the ground. Oh. And it's at that moment that you realize you are not the master that you once thought you were. So, so you're, this belief is really like, I totally believe the opposite until my face met pavement at like 97 miles an hour whilst wearing, ne- I'm assuming, neon blades. <laughs> Because it's what, totally. 93, Purple 94, 95? and black yes. and green. Totally. Super sick. Super duper sick. <laughs> yeah, anyways, I, I, I get up and they kind of are looking at me with amazement yeah, what, or shock. What their faces look I, like yeah, now. It was, <laughs> my God. You can't see that. Yeah. You can hear what I'm yeah, doing with the, my face. Mouth again. Mouth yeah. again. <laughs> um, but I get up, I check my body parts i'm like oh cool everything's fine and then i take my tongue and i run it from the right side of my teeth to the left and lo and behold half of my front teeth are gone and yeah it's 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 at that point where you're like oh mastery i wish it existed (laughs) mastery is not a thing (laughs) (laughs) yeah that was, it was quite depressing. Yeah, what were your sisters and, her, and, and their friends doing? Were they like, well, oh my God, your face. And you're like, I sent it. <laughs> yeah. <it's> been, <laughs> okay. My dad was not stoked. Yeah, he yeah. was like, I was trying to be a master dad. <laughs> no. No. So, okay. I think he knew that all along, right. though. He already, because these are lessons that people tell you over and over. Right. It's like, don't do dumb stuff. Right. You're not the master. Right. Well, and but oh, they also say, like, if you're going to be dumb, you better be tough. I cried. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I bet. You didn't have any teeth left. Yeah. Well, it's lessons learned the hard way. Right. Okay. So let's, let's fast forward. 2015. You've, you've given up your blading career at this point. You've gone on one single river trip, one float, and somehow you are on the U.S. team then after that flow correct uh, yeah i don't know how it happened yeah, really no, no, but no, i know you do not get to i can explain the sequence happen? of events please do uh i was a guide on vale mountain a ski bike guide i don't know if you've ever been ski biking it's a niche sport i do a lot of those it's like <laughs> it is, it's like it ribbon the dancing of niche sports yeah check it out online i made it i made a video once <laughs> <laughs> um yes but uh, I worked with a, a great guy, Jeremiah Williams, and he was a guide with me, and he was also, in the summertime, a raft guide. And so he had a connection to John Mark, who was also in the raft business, and that's kind of where these worlds melded. Uh-huh. Um, John Mark had just finished up one year with the raft team, and and that team split apart. And so he was looking for some more guys to kind of throw in the boat. Yeah. And he asked Jeremiah and was like, "Uh, Jeremiah, you know any friends who are in the raft scene? And Jeremiah's like, no, but I got a twin. He looks like me. Yeah. I don't know if you've ever seen Jeremiah. He looks very similar to myself. And he was like, yeah, just body double me and we'll (laughs) figure it out. And so I kind of got roped in there and then went to a couple practices and then we ended up, our team ended up going to nationals down in, where was it? The Royal Gorge? No? Yeah, somewhere like that. And I think we kind of shocked the other team that had been the U.S. raft team for yeah. a long time. And that's how I got into rafting. But I had only been in a boat besides sitting in a pool, really, one other time. <laughs> I mean, I had been in a canoe and, and 
I and tried kayaking, but I was terrible is, at it. This is like amazing to me. I don't understand how you can do just like all of a sudden you're like, oh, oh the, okay. like the rafting. I thought you were like super excited. There was a body double. of him. Oh, yeah. yeah. No, I am excited <laughs> about that. <laughs> no. We're about to go to Vail, make yeah. a patty melt, brother. Oh, okay. <laughs> 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 okay, again, <laughs> Ken. Bring it back, can bring you, it back. No, I'm sorry. Yeah. What? I just blacked <laughs> out a little bit. I'm sorry. <laughs> kind of, can you talk like about looking into a solar eclipse or something. <laughs> Can you talk about what it was like to be a rookie on the team? Uh, it was great and terrible at the same time. <laughs> yeah, you had mentioned like you, had, you were just supposed to shut up and you, paddle. I mean, that's what you should do anytime you get into something new is you should take the time to sit back and learn and watch. I, that's how I prefer to go about learning something new is to hang out and observe for a while. But when the other people in the boat are yelling at you and you're in the front of the boat and you can't see anything else, it's, it's pretty frustrating. There were times where I wanted to kick everybody in the face. But you know what? Shut up and paddle. Was there a moment where you were like, okay, I think I'm starting to actually understand and get better and be more confident? Um, I always had an idea in my head of what I thought was happening. Whether that was true or not is a whole nother, it's a whole nother ball game. Because, and we've really kind of bridged this uh, divide by having someone outside the boat tell us what to do. But for the first three years, we'd, we just fought amongst ourselves. And I thought I was right, but I was probably wrong. You're kind of like the Fleetwood Mac of the rafting world. <laughs> <laughs> Where do you come up with this? I'm incredibly like, artistic. <laughs> and I watch a lot of shows that are... Have you ever seen Behind the Music? It's an exceptional Ooh. program. Okay. Would you describe yourselves as the Fleetwood Mac that first three years? No, I wouldn't. Okay. Only because I don't know what that means. <laughs> okay. okay. So. Depressing, in, I know. I'm sorry. In your film, People of Water, you had made this remark about how being on the water helps you has helped you learn to embrace the unknown. Can you talk about that a little more? I can, um, and I will. <laughs> that's good, that's yeah, why you're up That's here. why I'm here. <laughs> no, it, I think water has this special quality um, in that we're land-based, um, just being humans. Like, you don't spend that much time in the water, even though it's a part of our daily life. But when you actually get to interact with it, whether it's in a, a lake or in a river um, or in the ocean, there is this moment where you feel overwhelmed. And that, the more you participate in that feeling, the more comfortable it becomes. And so that you can kind of translate that from those experiences and really take that into your daily life, into unexpected experiences that come out of, I mean, interaction with people or situations outside of water. Um, but it's, it's very apparent when you're in the, a bad situation in water, you need to figure out how to slow down and gather yourself and then move on and figure out what the answer is or the solution. In the film, um, you met some remarkable boat builders. Can you talk about who they were? Like, tell us more about them. Yeah, um, we've been really fortunate in all of our endeavors to get to meet some of the best in, in their field. Um, and meeting Johnny Puakea and his dad, Bobby, was really powerful. And I think if there is a master of, of something, they're pretty close. But that experience and seeing the way they work with their craft and how intimate that relationship is, it rings true. Um, it's kind of the same whenever I see someone who is really good at whatever they do. There is something of an art about it and it doesn't seem like it's scientific. It seems like they're connected and being able to interact with people like that. And there's, in this audience, there's a, quite a few people who are I mean, the pizza. There are, there are people who have an art about them, and, and you go there, and you can feel it, and you can see it, and it really resonates with me. I don't know if you want me to go more into detail about Bobby or Johnny. 
Well, I mean, how did both of that, how did Johnny and Bobby kind of exemplify to you that mastery is non-existent? Um, I think that really comes to life in that they are continually working on their craft. Like, Bobby's been working on boats for 70 years right. or, or more, and he grew up around it and still feels like he has stuff to learn and to give and to become a, more connected with that craft. You know, there's also, in, speaking of the film, there's, there's another quote in it that really stands out to me. And it's a little shocking, actually, I think. It, it, you said, I'm definitely not the most confident. I doubt what I am. At this point, I don't think of myself as a water person, but I'm working at it. I want to be a water person. To me, this is kind of shocking and surprising for someone who spends so much time on the water. I mean, as a member of the raft team, to hear you say, I don't feel that I'm a water person, but I'm working at it, is, is kind of remarkable. What do, what do you mean? Um, I feel that way in, in life in general. Uh, I, don't, I don't want to be overconfident. I think I right. say that in the yeah. movie is, is there is a certain level of confidence that I have in easier tasks, but I also understand that there's a greater scheme or a greater power. And once you meet up with that, it's, it's hard to say that I'm confident I'll do the right thing or be able to handle the situation. And, and that's where I exist as a, in my head is self doubt is okay. And yeah. it's, it's all right to be humble and know that there are things outside of your control that may overtake any skill that you have. There's a lot of people who go out and say they can do it, whether they believe that in their head or not. I just choose not to go that route. Because then you find yourself at the top of a hill on rollerblades. Yeah. I'm screaming a yes. thousand miles an hour. And that, that's happened over and over in my lifetime. Yeah. Hence the reason the two front teeth are fake. They're not even real. <laughs> So when you're, when you're approaching a certain level of experience or a certain level of expertise in outdoor pursuits or say your photography or cinematography or anything that you're taking up, what do you do then? If you're like, oh, I'm, I'm getting to a certain level. Now I become bored. You become bored. Yeah, and then I, I choose another path to go down typically. Um, and maybe that has to do with my insecurity with, finishing up the last bits, because as you get better at something, it becomes more difficult to become that much better, if that makes sense. I don't know. Is that stupid? No, there's a... There, <laughs> I don't think so. About to put, yeah. yeah, man. No, you can totally that bash me. It's fine. I, you, yeah. <laughs> you can't trust Patty, because at End this point, she's just staring at you. But there's that thing where they say, like... You start out and you're aware that you don't know things and then the most confident people actually hardly know anything. And then as you become more skilled, you become aware of how much you don't know and how much you have to grow. Yeah, um, yeah. that's valid. And I think that's been proven in, in studies mm -hmm. that there is a significant amount of people that think they're better than they are at a task. Yeah. I don't want to be one of those people. I think that's where I find myself the most at home is being a novice at something because you, you see how much you don't know and you, f you feel out of your element. And that, I think that is important to hold true within yourself, taking that insecurity and refocusing it to get better. And, and the great thing about being a novice is you pick up tasks a lot faster and you become more proficient at a greater rate. And that can bring along some self-confidence, I think, because um, you see those huge jumps. And then you don't... To me, when, when I get to the point of... It's usually the point of where I'm about to get hurt doing something, hence rollerblading, <laughs> uh, is there's that fine line of going too big. And the consequences become much higher. And that's when you, you really figure out that you're not a master because the magnitude of of what happens when you do mess up is significantly greater. Hence the reason, like, I watched Free Solo, and if you get to that point, that might be one master. I don't... Uh, well, we're keeping this discussion to humans, and Alex Honnold yeah. is not an actual real-life human. That could be true. 
part robot and spider monkey or something. I think I'm not sure. <laughs> no, but th- I think that's I think that's a a feeling I have is is you can really test whether you're a master when you the consequence goes up. Yeah, you're doing 100 miles an hour on a bike rather than two miles an hour. You know when you screw up. And so I, well, what's interesting to me is like if if you can't achieve the black belt right if you can't become the master then what is the point yeah and that's that's part of the the issue that i find is where you take that idea of the fact that mastery doesn't exist yeah it's it's not possible to achieve um you can either take it to a dark place or you can take it to the where i think i default is that since mastery doesn't exist, it doesn't mean you have to shy away from trying to achieve it. It just allows for failure to be a teaching tool rather than I haven't achieved ma- mastery, therefore I'm a failure and I shouldn't do it anymore. It, it can kind of bring you along and, and you can say, it's okay, everybody fails. And I don't know if anybody actually achieves it, but you should sure as hell shoot for it. Are you going to go back to that hill? I don't tempt me. Strap on those neon blades. Maybe I'll choose a different path this time. I feel like I've learned something, maybe. Maybe. Ladies and gentlemen, please give it up for Rob Prechtel. Thank you. Thanks. Wait, friends, there's more. So, at the end of the show, we took a few questions from the audience. We're sharing two of our favorites here. One person asked how Elizabeth and I met, and this is my response. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, so good. Do you want to take this? Because we Clearly, didn't actually... you're enjoying yourself so I much. Have that I have so you, much fun right you now. You can answer this, and I'll tell you if he's lying or okay. not. Okay, so... I went to Seattle for a dance competition. <laughs> I was covered in glitter. And I'm just joking. No, I actually... Elizabeth and I... Uh, Elizabeth was doing some work with uh, Duct Tape and Beer on their other little... Our, our sister show, uh, The Dirtbag Diaries. You probably haven't heard of it. Um... <laughs> Uh, and she was producing some, uh, uh, some episodes for them, and uh, Fitz and Becca and Anya um, decided it was a good idea to bring Elizabeth on to wrangle me for this new show, Safety Third, that we were developing. And um, we met at the airport, actually, uh, after only emailing one another, and Elizabeth went into full mom mode. Uh, at the baggage claim and she was like okay so this is how airports work your bags are gonna come out we're gonna grab your bag and then we're gonna go to get a cab and it's gonna take us to an air B and B and that's where we're gonna go pee pee nai nai for the evening until we go to the office do you have to go potty right now and I was like what is happening to me right now and she's like grab my bags let's go and that's and, and the original uh, idea for the show was just me kind of like talking into space. And then all of this happened. <laughs> this great rapport that we have. And Becca and Fitz were kind of like, let's put mics on everybody, which has been the most fun for me. And I truly mean that because you're an amazing human and I love you very much. Coming at you real hot with some compliments, girl. You can't make fun of and lie about how I was helping you at the airport and then tell me you love me. Is this, legitimately, is is this the first time we've met? This is how I live my whole life. Come at you real hot, then hug ya. Yeah, that is true. It makes me deeply uncomfortable. Well, it... You... (laughs) But that's pretty, that's pretty true, right? That's how, that's... Yeah, I did give you a lot of instruction just because he had like kind of a lost look on his face. And when he did go to sleep, I was like, would you like me to wake you up? It's just my face. Well, you need to work harder on that then. And then Patty and I were asked what our creative partnership is like. It's growing. It's changing a lot. That's the cool thing. Like, uh, again, the original idea was just kind of like me 
barfing into a, a microphone without anyone wrangling me, which is probably not a good idea. Patty and I spend an obscene amount of time talking to each other on the phone <laughs> and texting. And that's the coolest thing about this job is that not only have I gained a uh, incredible creative partner, but Elizabeth has become one of my closest friends and, and confidants. We've grown to trust each other's yeah. creative instincts more. And did you want to add anything to our creative process? Her talent, not just for, for scripting and writing, but her ear is unbelievable. Elizabeth is like, I can hear a bee outside. You have to turn the lights off. I can hear the hum. Also, don't think that judgmental thing about me. I can hear it in your brain. It's like, oh my God. You guys, thank you guys so much for coming out to the live taping. Once again, thank you to Chaco for putting on this awesome event. Give it up to them, please. And thank you for coming to Safety Third. We love you. You've been listening to Safety Third. Our guests today were Jen Zuner, Ann Keller, and Rob Prechtel. And to learn more about what those three are doing, check out Jen and Ann on Instagram, at Jen Zuner, and Ann Keller One, or at Hot Tomato Pizza. And check out Rob on Instagram, at All Tooth Bob, and at US Men's Raft Team. If you like today's show, tell your friends and fam, and crank that dial until it breaks. If you have an idea for a guest, send us an email at hello at safetythirdpodcast.com. You can find us on Instagram at safetythird underscore podcast and on the old interwebs at safetythirdpodcast.com. Safety Third is produced by Elizabeth Nakano. Cordelia Zars edited this episode. Additional production help from all the fine folks who work and volunteer for Five Point Adventure Film Festival. Find out more at fivepointfilm.org. Music by my big brother, Brendan. Me want blueberry pancakes, O'Connell. Art direction by Anya Miller-Berg. Fitz Cahal is our creative director. Becca Cahal is our executive producer. And I'm your host, Patty O'Connell. Okie dokie, my friends. Until next time, keep it tight, keep it loose, and remember, safety third. Safety third.